Welcome to this podcast from St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope you consider hitting like or subscribe. We hope you will share this audio with your friends and neighbors. Help others know about our inclusive, theologically progressive community of faith. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can make a gift at stmichaelsabq.org. How often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus answers, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. In the name of the holy and undivided Trinity, one God. Peter's question to Jesus about the boundaries of forgiveness is the setup for what is known as the parable of the unforgiving servant. Here, Jesus tells us a story of extravagant mercy on the part of a king who forgives a slave's enormous debt. But then, when he learns the slave has not shown mercy to another, that very same king turns around and orders him to be tortured until he can pay off the entirety of his debt. This parable concludes with Jesus saying, so my heavenly father will do to each of you if you do not forgive your siblings from your heart. Hmm. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who forgives lavishly one minute and in the next hands you over to be tortured? Well, that's terrible. So terrible that the parable of the unforgiving servant doesn't really seem to capture it. A more adequate title might be the parable of the vengeful king, the mercurial master, or even the parable of the flip-flopping lord. But this is not the first time, nor is it the last time in Matthew's Gospel, that there is an image of judgment that seems to come from the hand of God. Torture, in this case, in the parable of the weeds, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth in the furnace of fire. In the parable of the wedding banquet, and again in the parable of the talents, we have weeping and gnashing of teeth, this time in the outer darkness. And then, of course, at the final judgment, the goats are thrown into the eternal fire. That these parables seem to show a God who casts out who resorts to violence, who abandons us when we fall short, is the single best argument against reading parables as simple allegories with a clear or singular moral lesson. Amy Jill Levine reminds us that the power of parables lie not so much in what they mean but in what they do, what they do to us. They are designed to surprise, indict, provoke, or convict us. 
I have told you already that I find the image that this seems to present of the kingdom of heaven challenging. And I find this parable convicting, indicting in that if my forgiveness is predicated on my ability to forgive others, well, then I'm in big trouble. (laughs) There is much in this parable that first century Palestinians would find absurd. First, the size of the debt is beyond imagining. In today's money, to owe 10,000 talents would be something like being $3.5 billion in debt to your credit card. They would know that 10,000 talents would be roughly equivalent to 60 million days of work. No private person could have incurred such a debt, and no private person would have any hope of ever paying it off. The impossibility of repaying the debt would remain even if all one's possessions, oneself, one's spouse, one's children were sold. Because in the first century Roman world, slaves were too plentiful and too cheap to make much of a difference. While the second slave's debt of 100 denarii was more reasonable, only a few months' wages, the first century audience would be surprised by the notion that one slave could enforce a debt against another, because slaves had no legal standing in Roman law. These would be the details most likely to capture the imagination of the audience rather than the slave's unwillingness to forgive his fellow. And I wonder what captures your imagination, what challenges you. Do you have your hand on someone else's throat? Or are you the one who can't breathe because of what someone else lords over you? One more thing about the numbers before I go on. When um, Peter says, should I forgive seven times, he's not being chintzy. Seven is the number of perfection. It's exceedingly generous. And when Jesus says, no, 77 times, that's not a finite number. That actually is infinite. So while some of these nuances might escape us as we hear this parable, we all know something, even our youngest disciples among us, we all know something of how hard it is to forgive. And I imagine we know what it feels like in our body, that challenge. The tightness in our chest, maybe the the clasping, the clenching of our fists, our tongue filling our mouth. I can feel it right now. (laughs) I, for one, am very good at keeping score. 
<laughs> JP is, just this morning, JP, he was at 47, but now, you know, he's climbed a couple more since we started the service. And even though Mike has only been here three weeks, he's already at 23. <laughs> I am inclined to keep a running tally of wrongs, slights, and betrayals. But even when I think I have forgiven someone, Something will come up days, weeks, or even years later that triggers that old hurt, and I have to forgive all over again. This is why we may understand Jesus' instruction to forgive 77 times as a truism, because we have experienced an old hurt an old betrayal or breach of trust, rise up in us and feel surprisingly fresh and immediate. We know that to live in community, in our families, our friendships, our marriages, our churches, to remain in relationship is to practice forgiveness again and again and again. Just this morning, JP has had to forgive me for standing at the gospel at the 7.30 service before he was ready, and then for spilling coffee in his office. <laughs> How to live in relationship is the context of today's teaching Today's parable and the exchange between Peter and Jesus takes place within the contours of Jesus teaching what a community of disciples looks like, how it functions, what it feels like. And in this chapter in Matthew's Gospel, we learn that a community of disciples is one characterized by humility, mercy, and accountability. There is a whole process that Jesus lays out for accountability and amends. That's what we heard in the gospel last week. What we have today comes after the process for conflict resolution. And what I notice is that in what we have today, there doesn't seem to be any expectation on the part of the offender. This is about us. The Greek verb at play in our passage is aphiemi, frequently translated into English as forgive. In the Greek lexicon, aphiemi more commonly means to send away, let go, leave behind, to permit, to let loose. According to Sarah Rudin, translator and scholar of ancient literature, who I often like to talk about, this verb, aphiemi, is used both specifically for the remission of monetary debts and generally 
as in the command to let go of anything you have against anyone while praying, as we hear in Mark 11.25. And so Rudin argues that the letting go, the afiemi, is a letting go of control over other persons in favor of trust in God's justice and providence. Let me say that again. Afiemi is letting go of control over others, whether that's material, emotional, intellectual, or moral, in favor of trusting God's justice and providence. To let go, leave behind, let loose in favor of trusting God's justice over our sense of justice, in trusting God's work in creation over our own strength. This kind of forgiving is liberating for us. How often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Not seven times, but I tell you 77 times. Our own liberation is bound up in our ability to forgive, to let loose those things that bind us, trusting not our own will but God's. This kind of forgiving is a spiritual practice that we must do again and again and again. And so I find hope in knowing that God's forgiveness, like grace, is boundless. God's mercy is infinite, limitless, unconditional, just like God's love for us. That's grace, freely given, no strings attached, unmerited, unearned, even unasked for. Just as there is nothing we could do to make God love us any more or any less, there is nothing we can do to make God forgive us any more or any less. It is already accomplished. And so I wonder in our story today, if the kingdom of heaven isn't just like the king that forgives, but the kingdom of heaven is like that community that recognizes God's love, that bears witness to God's love, grace, and mercy, that makes people feel that when they come hang out with us. We are to emulate, imperfectly, of course, but to emulate mercy, compassion, forgiveness, and to hold our members to account for how they respond to others, and to do it again and again and again. That is my prayer for us, St. Michael's, that when 
others come among us that they feel, that they see, that they know what it is like to be a community of disciples. And they rest in the assurance of God's love, grace, and forgiveness. Amen.